Welcome to Exhale Bible Discovery. Each week, we'll take a deep dive into the Bible, going line by line and chapter by chapter to discover the truths that God has for us in His Word. Welcome back to Exhale Bible Discovery. Hi, I'm Dr. Paula McDonald, and I am excited to continue in our study of John. And today we are in chapter 11. Let's look at our lesson overview. In chapter 10, we learned that Jesus is our loving shepherd. And this week, we're going to dive into the story of Lazarus, and we're going to see death to light. So I have this in two divisions. The first division is actually life to death, which is verses 1 through 37. And in the second division, we have death to life, which are verses 38 through 57. And so we now come to this fantastic lesson in Jesus's ministry involving raising a man from death. And in the last chapter, Jesus had just escaped the mob of the Jews who wished to stone him, and he went back to the Jordan River where his ministry began. This miracle brought Jesus' ministry to a major climax. And what better way to point to his future resurrection than to demonstrate this possibility through a mind-blowing miracle of bringing life back into a man who had been dead for four days. So there's some major significances right here of raising Lazarus. One, resurrection. And this points to the possibility and the reality of resurrection from death to life. Second, the word alive Being made alive as a new believer, as we shed the lives of the death of sin, that's an important part to know. And then third, new life. Rising into new life as we escape the finality of death, as we go from being sinners into believers and eternal life with Christ. These are major significant points with this story. And so before we get into this story, I want to explore a bit more about the people that are involved. And here's what we know. Let's talk about Lazarus first. He lived in Bethany. He had two sisters, Martha and Mary. And we know that Jesus was close to him and his sisters. The scripture says, Lord, the one you love is sick. And Lazarus in Greek is Lazarus which comes from the Hebrew Eleazar, meaning he, God, has helped. Now let's look at Martha. She was the sister to Lazarus and Mary. She was the eldest sibling. The feminine of moro or more, meaning lord or master, was what Martha meant. And it is believed she was a widow and now was the head of this current household. 
and she would have held the responsibility of hospitality, which was important to her, and therefore she was proud to open her home often to others. And then there's Mary. There are many thoughts regarding Mary, her identity, other than the sister of Martha and Lazarus, but the real importance of the lesson from her in John's gospel is the main point, that she was obedient and she was responsive to Jesus. She obviously held Jesus in the highest of order as she fell to his feet weeping. And we also know from verse 2, this was the same Mary who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his hair with her feet. So we see this outpouring of humility with her and with Jesus. All right, let's get back to this story. So the sisters sent word to Jesus to let him know the one he loved was sick. And next week, as we look into chapter 12 of John, we're going to learn more about the relationship between Jesus and this particular family. However, what we do see is the fact that the sisters had a close relationship with Jesus as well. They also acknowledged that Jesus was and held Lazarus very dear to him. No doubt, they wanted Jesus to be aware that his close friend was ill. And I don't believe they had any clue that Jesus would actually come and raise their brother from the dead. When they made this plea, Lazarus was most likely very close to death. And so Jesus has a response. He answers the plea with two statements. First, he says, this sickness will not end in death. He's firmly telling them in a way that would lift their spirits that Lazarus would be all right. And it's almost as if he's saying, trust me. And secondly, his statement is, no, it is for God's glory so that the God's son may be glorified through it. His words of encouragement may have seemed odd at the time. However, Jesus was setting the stage of witnessing an incredible miracle that would soon happen. This would truly be the miracle showing his majesty as Christ, the Redeemer and the Healer, and that he was capable of resurrection. The scripture tells us that Jesus did not leave right away when he was called. And we know Bethany is only about two miles from Jerusalem. And Jesus and his disciples could have easily gotten to them quickly. But Jesus stays where he was for another full two days. Isn't that just like us today? (laughs) When we want something from Jesus, we want it right now. And often he allows us to wait on his timing as to what he has planned for us, because it's far greater than what we could ever imagine. So we are to wait on him and fully trust in his outcome. So the disciples were concerned for him to venture out, because remember, in light of the last incident, the Jews were threatening to stone him, and their obvious love and concern for Jesus is evident. And then Jesus responds to them, through another metaphor. Are there not 12 hours of daylight, he says? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night 
that they stumble, for they have no light. Jesus was reminding the disciples, and us as well today, that we all have a set number of time while we're on this earth, and so don't waste this precious time. Our goal is to finish the work that God has given to each of us. When we walk with Jesus, we are walking in the light. And those who choose to walk without Jesus in their lives, they are eventually going to stumble. And right after this statement, Jesus says, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. And this phrase, fallen asleep, points to those who are asleep in Christ, meaning people who don't choose to know him, and therefore they are dead in their sins. And an interesting side note, John 11.11 has to do with being spiritually asleep. Many today are seeing the numbers 11.11, and it's called the awakening code. Well, God is reaching out to his people through a digital world to wake us up. And that's pretty cool. If you go to Revelation 11.11, that's another amazing verse. In my other podcast, Live Today, I have a whole podcast just on numbers and God. Very interesting, but I just wanted to bring that up. But next, we see Thomas exclaim boldly that they must also go so that they may die with him. Clearly, this shows the intense devotion towards Jesus. This is the same Thomas that we see later in John, who is called Doubting Thomas. But right now, Thomas was ready to go to the grave with Jesus. So now, as Jesus is arriving in Bethany, when Jesus and the disciples arrive, Lazarus had already been dead for four days and was in the tomb. And a lot of people had already arrived ahead of Jesus to comfort the sisters. And so here's a few more notes about Bethany. It's where Jesus performs his greatest miracle. It's where Mary anoints Jesus before his burial. It's where Jesus makes his triumphant entry on Palm Sunday. And it's where Jesus chose to stay before his crucifixion. And it's where Jesus ascends into heaven. So during this time of year in Bethany, it would have been very warm. Therefore, any deceased body that had been in a tomb for four days would have been fully enveloped in the stench of decay. Martha hears that Jesus has arrived and goes out to meet him right away. She then begins her accusatory tone that Jesus was too late and asserts if he had been there, Lazarus would have not died. She promptly follows up with a statement of faith saying she knows that God would give Jesus whatever he asks. And here in the midst of her sorrow, Martha yields to her faith. What a beautiful example for each of us when we are walking through our darkest moments that we still find a way back to our faith. And Jesus tells her that Lazarus would rise again. And Martha misunderstands this statement to assume Jesus was talking about Lazarus rising in the resurrection during the last day. 
Jesus then speaks that he is the resurrection and the life, and those who believe in him will live even though they will die a physical death. He also says to those who live by believing in him will never die. And he ends this statement with, do you believe this? And you guys, this question is for us all believers. Do we accept that Christ is the resurrection, that he is the life giver? Well, when we believe in him, we are promised eternal life. And notice that this important Christian truth is said, all said prior to the miracle of raising Lazarus. Jesus wants us to place our faith in him without any promises or show me the miracle first demands. Martha then says that yes, she believes he is the Messiah, the Son of God, who is coming to the world. After this, she goes back to tell Mary that Jesus had arrived, and she tells Mary that he is asking for her. She promptly drops what she is doing, and she goes to Jesus. Jesus was still outside the city, but she falls to Jesus' feet in tears and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus is moved by her sorrow, and he asks where Lazarus had been laying. And it is here we see Jesus' raw human emotions as he wept. And the Jews say, wow, see how he loved him? And then some ask why he could not have kept Lazarus from dying. And Jesus is met with the human emotion of personal loss of a loved one. Because remember, he's fully God, but he's also fully man. So he's experiencing human emotions. No doubt Jesus knew his own time was coming close. And this display of sorrow gripped him. He would know of how those who loved him would react to his death. Now, let's move into the second part of this chapter, and this is death to life, verses 38 through 57. The climax of this situation is now set. Jesus has set the stage for those who witness this to see a much bigger picture. The scripture says Jesus once more deeply moved and came to the tomb, and he instructs them to remove the stone. And Martha reacts in a her human way. He's been there for four days. The odor would be horrible. She's so practical, isn't she? And although she had just proclaimed her faith, it most likely surprised her for Jesus to want the tomb opened. I mean, she was only human. I probably would have done the same thing. And then Jesus's reply is this, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And he's reminding her and us to have complete faith in him and to trust him. The stone is rolled away, and I can imagine the response from those at this scene. It had to be a mix of horror as well as curiosity. And the first thing Jesus does is look to his father and thank him. He says his father always hears him, but this was done so the people witnessing this event would believe that he had been sent by God. And so finally, the climax of the moment, 
Jesus says in a loud voice for Lazarus to come out. And then text says the dead man came out with his hands and feet wrapped in linen with a cloth around his face. And Jesus says, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This undoubtedly had to be an extremely dramatic a moment. Imagine a dead person walking out of a grave with the burial cloth still wrapped around them. What an amazing scene. And Jesus commands to come and then to remove the grave clothes. In the same command he gives all of us today, you guys, come to him and leave our former dead lives living in our own filthy rags of death. It's a powerful moment both then and for us now. When we shed our former selves, we can walk freely out of that tomb of death and without the bondage of sin. And it's a two-fold response to Jesus. First, we have to obey and come to him, which is willing. We have to do something. And then secondly, we have to leave our old sinful selves behind. It's twofold, you guys. Obey and come and leave our old sinful selves behind. After the miracle, many of the Jews right then and there believed in him. Isn't that amazing? After witnessing this miraculous event, even then, some did not believe because it says many believed in him, which means some did not. Some even ran to the Pharisees to tattle on Jesus. Their denial of Christ was superseded by their need to report him to the authorities. And a meeting is called with the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they begin seeing they are losing control of the people. And hearing that now Jesus was even raising dead people back to life, man, it was more than they could handle, and it had to stop. And this sort of behavior surely would undermine their own important roles. And they argued that this would cause the Romans to come and take over. Now we are introduced to Caiaphas, the high priest. He was wealthy and obviously held in high esteem by the Romans due to the fact that he had been in this position for a long time. And no doubt, he was concerned for his own position with the Romans, and he did not want his status quo disrupted. He expresses to the group, You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than a whole nation to perish. Basically, he is ready to have Jesus executed to preserve his own precious status in life. Wow! A high priest is someone in a trusted position to the people. And here he was, obviously missing the big picture. The scripture tells us that Caiaphas had prophesied that year that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And this statement was not in reference to Jesus dying for the sins of the world. Rather, the statement had been made because they wanted Jesus dead. He was telling the people not to trust in this Jesus person because he's going to end up dead. Jesus was there to bring the nation of Israel together was definitely a threat to these leaders. 
and then Jesus once again retreats. When it was time for the Passover, Jesus did not attend, and people noticed that he was not there and inquired where he was. The rulers had given orders to anyone who saw Jesus to report to them. In only a few more days, we are going to see Jesus heading back to Bethany. Wow, so many beautiful principles in this life to death and death to life and back again. So important for us today. So if you have your journal or something to write with, I have some challenge questions for you. Number one, with the time you have left while on this earth, what can you do in order to not waste the precious daylight you've been given for the kingdom? Question two, if you knew your time was short, what is one thing you would do right now for Jesus? Number three, what tasks do you need to drop in order to go to Jesus immediately like Mary did? Four, have you ever faced a moment where you had to profess faith even when you couldn't see the outcome? Describe your feelings. And fifth, are you bound by your grave clothes even after professing to have Christ in your life? And if so, how are you going to shed these clothes of shame, guilt, and past sins? Well, I look forward to our next lesson as we continue with the book of John. So I'll see you in chapter 12. Be sure to visit my website, drpaulamcdonald.com, click on podcast, and then exhale Bible discovery for self-study guides and resources to support you with each episode. 